Hello and welcome to The Fandamentalist, the fandom podcast investigating all aspects of geeky media. Welcome to the I Disappoint Dad Club. I've spent my life trying to build something here. Growing up, a non-white, non-straight girl in Blue Springs, Nebraska. I wouldn't wish to excite your anticipation. I never asked to be made! You're exactly the hero I wanted you to be. The theme song you just heard is Good Riddance by R. Sonar, available on the free music archive. My name is Kylie, and here with me are Gretchen. Hello! And Julia. Hi, everyone. I'm the three of us write for thefandamentals.com uh, for fundamentally sound fandom analysis, which is as it sounds, of course. Uh, before we start, I have to say I got a message on one of my uh, Tumblr blogs saying that if I ever do change up the intro quotes, we're not allowed to touch Boomy saying, welcome to the I Disappoint Dad. I agree. That's like the best one on there. That one that I never asked to be made. I feel like those are the two that define <laughs> us the most. <laughs> it, yeah. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, we're going to kick things off like we normally do, talking about fandom news. So all the, the haps in the yeah. geeky space. We are, <laughs> we are some cool cats here right now. <laughs> we're with it. We're hip. Look, yeah, the first yeah. thing, though, mm-hmm. guys, I just want to say, yes, we did, because Disney has now withdrawn what it was saying about how there wasn't going to be music in the live-action reboot. Now there is, because basically everyone lost their shit about it, us mm. included. For Mulan. I mean, how can you not have Yes, for that? Mulan. Right. Like, that's honestly some of my favorite music from a Disney movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like... I don't know how you'd leave that out. I just love how they're like spinning it like, well, we never said it was off the table. And we're like, uh, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I, I, I kind of feel like what probably persuaded them in the end was the many pieces that were sort of arguing like, hey, look, Sony's already doing this too. So mm-hmm. differentiate yourself or probably the box office success of Beauty and the Beast. Actually, yeah, it was that. <laughs> yeah, it makes you wonder if they were holding off. Like, if, if Beauty and the Beast hadn't been a success, they would have been like, yeah, we're never going to do a live-action musical remake again. Or, like, let's try a new direction for this one. Right. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Um, We've got other news coming out of Disney, though, too. Right. Um, That's So Raven is having a spin-off, like, sequel series, I guess, called Raven's Home, which has Raven and Chelsea as divorced single moms raising all of their kids together in one home, which... Sounds a lot like Fuller House. (laughs) Yeah, and totally not at all, like... Queer? Like, yeah, not at all queer. Nope, (laughs) nope, nope. This is totally normal. I mean, if we're going to be honest about Fuller House, who hasn't shipped Kimmy and DJ at some point? I'm kind of kidding. It would be so (laughs) funny to watch Candace Cameron Burr's head spin, though. Oh, my gosh. Oh, God. Make Uh, her the gay. (laughs) I think... I can't remember what they said, but I think Chelsea has one child and raven at least has twins but i don't know if she has any other children this does sound a little isn't this like a fanfic trope like roommates at yes yeah (laughs) yes it is yeah fake married like 
roommates. Oh. Like, you know what? Sharing, I actually like... might be in this situation myself because, okay, very quick story. I'm currently <laughs> living in a single apartment and my friend who works in the area is looking to move in with me. But in this like apartment complex that I'm in, because I can't break my lease otherwise, we could move to a different apartment. But paying for a two-bedroom layout is crazy. So she and I might actually have to pretend to be a lesbian couple <laughs> and move into a unit with a one-bedroom layout that happens to have a quote-unquote den that will just become the second bedroom but it will actually be cheaper to be gay <laughs> hmm. oh my gosh you're the beginning of a fanfic story Kylie. i know i know <laughs> i don't know what to do with I, you it. know how those fanfics always end are you prepared for that <sighs> i mean it's gonna I, I feel bad for her boyfriend ahead of time but <laughs> we'll just... oh my gosh that makes it even tropier i know <laughs> totally I does know. oh my gosh Oh my god. That's uh, hilarious. She's just a friend, but I think it's hilarious. <laughs> it's really funny. Um What what is this Star Wars news? I'm sorry, I'm looking at our list. What what is All I what? know is that like apparently news of like so there's some like leak out about like a planet name for the upcoming movie. Uh-huh. And what people, is this planet? I don't even remember anymore. <laughs> it's not worth looking up. Um <laughs> But so people are freaking out the way that, I mean, one of my best friends is a Star Wars fan. So it's not because I don't like Star Wars fans. I love them. They just like freak out at the tiniest details. Like I read, like I looked, the article that I found was not small. I mean, <laughs> it was like at least, it was between 500 and a thousand words on like what, what this means. That was like, this but. Is- but why? It's a planet name. It means nothing. This is like the Game of Thrones fandom sometimes with like the hype machine that just keeps driving and driving. Yeah. It's a little more forgivable for Star Wars. A, it's a much better universe. And yes. B, like, this has been a starved fandom for a long time yeah. in right. terms of quality content. Right. Uh, so like, it, it, the reason I think it's most interesting because it seems clear to me that Disney has a very, very good grasp on marketing yeah. and like I, the key yeah. jingling that they do because there seem to be like regularly spaced intervals between these like so-called leaks. Yep. Like as soon as people start to die down, they're like, oh, here's a, oops, someone leaked a planet name. Did Talk you about hear Ray was going to use a lightsaber in this film? <laughs> she used yes. the last one. Like <laughs> Red Letter Media. <laughs> yeah. Their whole thing. Um, I love, oh my god, yeah, if you can, it's, it's so wanky, but Red Letter Media has been putting out these satirical podcasts, it's called like the Nerd Crew or something like that, where they're just kind of making fun of the hype machine that Disney has been driving, but it's, it's good, just trust me on it. Right, the only other Star Wars news is that Rogue One's Blu-ray came out, it feels really soon to me, but I well, I mean, the only thing attention. like. I'm old enough to remember when you'd have to wait, like, literally a year for a movie to come out on video. (laughs) So. In my day, we used to bootleg. Yeah. No, I I, I agree, because I actually remember waiting a very long time for specifically Revenge of the Sith. Not that I needed to have it so badly, but I just remember it wasn't out for long enough where my boyfriend at the time burned me a copy of some, like, bootlegged version. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so I'm sure, yeah, technology is better now, but in my brain, I was raised to be like, it takes at least, like, nine months between, like, the That's release a of the movie. baby Gretchen. Yeah, because not, not a Blu-ray. Are... Baby. Boop. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sure. I, guess, I, I, I grew up with VHS tapes. I'm sure those take a long time to make. 
I don't know. <laughs> I just think magnetic tape was definitely the best industry we ever invented invested in absolutely <laughs> i'm i'm sad to see that that went away uh moving out of star wars let's talk about cartoon network and shit on them as we do every single uh, time we record one of these they're so uh, dumb okay so there was another episode leak right yep yeah so the well, newest yeah the newest episode was supposed to come out like was it yet. last week yeah i think on friday it was supposed or, to come out on friday yeah and did not but it was leaked, so everyone's already seen it. Mm. Because that's how Steven Universe works. We we hug the baby bird a little too hard. That's just what we do. <laughs> uh, and there's there's no release date given for when it's moved. But uh, an, a thing that Cartoon Network did that was good was actually announce that Adventure Time is having another uh, miniseries planned. That's going to be the end of the month. I think April 21st, the first episode airs of mm-hmm. that. And they released the intro for this miniseries. Because like, uh, their miniseries, they do the stakes. They had... Um, like Marceline singing it. This one has the Ice King as the Ice King and Betty like flying around. It's just, oh my God, I'm hype. I'm hype for it. I'll be honest. Well, that'll be awesome. You just want explicit bubbling though. That's true. Well, yeah, but anything with Simon, I mean, yeah, come on now. But yeah, okay, if they could give me explicit bubbling, like, come on, it's 2017. (laughs) We need wins here. Yes. Uh, While we're talking about children's television shows that we watch uh invader zim is coming back with a tv movie and most of the original voice cast is coming back for this too right did you guys ever watch invader zim rarely it was it's pretty funny i don't know if i would still well it was when i watched it when i was younger i don't know if i would still find it amusing but i just remember it being really funny (laughs) (laughs) i remember the dog the the really inept robot sidekick named Gur. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. And I know I, what I know of Invader Zim is that uh, Brian Konietzko was really big in it. Like, like he that was one of the shows that he worked heavily on. Oh, yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. So, so my positive feelings about that just come from half of the break. Yep, half of the break. <laughs> Half of the break. <laughs> it's, it's the better half. I don't like to say it, but it's true. We all know it. Uh, but yeah, that sounds worth checking out. You know what sounds really worth checking out? It looks oh so gosh. good. Holy shit. Oh my god. A new Batman animated movie. It's Batman and Harley Quinn. It coming. looks so good. And it's like the original voices of Batman and Nightwing from Batman the Animated Series. Plus Melissa Rauch plays Bernadette on Big Bang Theory as Harley Quinn. And then uh, Paget Brewster as uh, as Poison Ivy, who was Prentice on Criminal Minds. Is oh my god, Black Hamill! I don't. Oh, I don't. Know. I don't think the Joker's in it, which is not a bad thing. Well, no. For no. Anything involving Harley Quinn, that's not necessarily a bad thing. No, because like Harley Quinn comes in because I guess the premise is that Poison Ivy is the main villain, and Batman. Uh-huh. Um, Batman needs someone who has contacts with, like, Poison Ivy's former contacts, so they bring in Harley. Um, so it's kind of a, like... And and then she and Poison Ivy end up together happily ever after, of course, I'm sure. Oh, I I mean, that would be nice. (laughs) It's not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen, but a girl can dream. But, you know, this is, like, honestly, having the original Batman back, like, Batman the Animated Series is probably my favorite Batman. Yeah, I mean, it's my favorite Batman. Yeah. It was just a damn good, yeah. Just a damn it was just so thing. nostalgic, like watching that video. That I was just like, as soon as he started talking, I was like, "It's Batman!" 
that's be- what Batman sounds like. He sounds like that. I know. Because- it's just wonderful. Oh, oh it's God. great. I'm excited. I mean, it, this, this, the entire premise of this already had me, but yeah. Right. Just, just knowing that this is who's going to be behind it. That's amazing. Speaking um, of the Bat Fam. Speaking of the Bat Fam, let's stay in Gotham City a little bit. Uh, Joss Whedon is going to be directing a Batgirl film. Or at least he's tapped. Yeah. I mean, I don't yeah. know why he'd say no. I don't know either, and there's already rumors, but nothing's confirmed yet for, like, who who Barbara might be. It is going to be Babs. It's going to be, from what I understand, a non-Oracle Babs, but I'm not... I That's what I, I'm assuming the direction is. They'll go with that, just to put that out there. But, you know, hey, a Batgirl film. Uh, Gail Simone was, like, someone asked on Twitter, like, hey, how many requests have have you gotten that people wish that you were doing this movie instead? And she's like, yeah, a lot. <laughs> and that, <sighs> that would be, hmm, hmm, gee, I wonder why not. Hmm. Yeah. Like we're certainly, I th- I mean, I don't want to speak for you too. I'm certainly not a Joss Whedon hater. I know no, that there's not a, Joss Whedon. a no. lot of people who go very far with that. I don't think he's like Aaron Sorkin level or anything like that. Literal trash. <laughs> No. I will take shits on Aaron Sorkin all I want. <laughs> Literal self-insert, dude. But just just we, you know, there are tropes he falls back on sometimes. And- he was he's one of those directors that I think he was groundbreaking in like the late '90s and early aughts, and it worked for him then, and he hasn't updated since. Yep. I was thinking about that because I was thinking about Dollhouse recently with all the Westworld stuff and mm-hmm. how like I think. Dollhouse is still a little bit more successful than Westworld, honestly, but it's it would need an update. Right. Like, a lot of things would need an update. Buffy would need a huge update. Yep. With with a lot of that. Of um, and then, obviously, we we see what happens when he produces something now, like Age of Avengers, where... Uh, Age of Ultron. Oh, my God. <laughs> Avengers, <laughs> Age of Ultron. We're in the Age of Avengers. I'm sorry. All these damn Marvel movies. But, where you know, the, the um, bullshit... With yeah, um, we all know about that. We all we all know about the bullshit. <laughs> read, read, read Julia's piece. I'm gonna link it. It's called "Is Joss Whedon Literal Trash?" <laughs> and her conclusion was no, but this sucks. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I'll link it. Um, hey, let's stay in comic verse a little bit more. My favorite. There place. is going to be an unbeatable Squirrel Girl live action comedy TV series on Freeform. Well, I hope it's a comedy. Trying to do that straight would be a little strange. If you yeah. read Squirrel Girl, there's, I mean, it, it is a comedy. Um, yeah. Our contributor Cameron's reviewed uh, a bit of it. It's just it's just fun. And I saw on Twitter, someone suggest Mae Whitman for the role. And oh, oh my gosh. Oh, now I don't so want good. anyone else. <laughs> that'd be so good. It's a problem. You can't take her out of a lineup of one, though. Oh yeah, there are like people. the The show is called New Warriors, so I mean, the title suggests she will be accompanied by. No, it's Squirrel Girl and Friends. <laughs> I mean, I hope it, that in in its execution, it is Squirrel Girl and Friends. <laughs> I just hope that it's like characters that are equally meme tastic, you know? Right. right. I hope it's they're not too diverse, t- because we, as we all know. Diversity is killing comics. Oh my uh, gosh. According yeah. to Marvel. <laughs> according to Marvel, the reason why no one buys comics is because it's got too many women and minorities. Well, okay. So, like, Corey just wrote a piece on this, and we'll definitely link that. It's what is Marvel doing? But 
the issue was that they they were like, we need more diverse characters. So then they just made them all and basically like threw them at everyone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, take the diverse characters, but didn't like build them up no. and make it work. And then when people didn't buy, also because they have fucking <laughs> pricier comics, and people didn't buy it, they're like, well, why didn't this work? It must be diversity. Uh. But but like just just read Corey's piece and she gets into everything Nick Spencer has been saying too lately, which I don't know why that man doesn't have a gag order, but I guess just stop talking. Just stop. Yeah, yeah. Talk Uh, less. He's taking a hole. Um, I mean, our final piece of news. I don't know if did either of you watch Doctor Who? Yeah, okay. Uh, I tapped out. Yeah, I tapped out. I think after series six. Um. Whichever the one is with the astronaut. I watched um, two episodes of the David Tennant one, and that is all. So, but apparently Bill, who is, like, going to be the companion on the upcoming series, um, who is played by biracial actress Pearl Mackey, is going to be the first openly, well-ish, first-ish openly queer companion. Um, what the I hell think, is Captain I mean, Jack Tuck liver? Well, I mean, like, yeah. I mean, there's like, nobody the, in the universe queerer than Captain Jack, first of all. It's true. It's true. I think when people say that, what they mean is long-running, like... It's pretty long-running. Consistent companion, because, like, Jack, I don't know. I don't know why people, like, whatever. They should just say first queer woman of color um, <laughs> companion, because that's the truth. Because, yeah, Jack, like, Jack can, like, he will charm anything within his vicinity anything literally anything (laughs) and i love that about him um and there are apparently a couple of characters on the show that are not companions there are some other queer women as well Mm -hmm. um apparently there there was like a lesbian couple but one of them was like um a a lizard lizard woman wasn't she yeah she was a lizard woman well, have that's you, the representation I've craved. Well, have you seen that meme that's like, this is the, the future liberals wanted, and it has, like, the lizard woman, and it's got the woman next to her, and it's yes. like... Yeah, that's from Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite. I mean, any variation of that meme. <laughs> yeah, that's that's Doctor Who. Um, so, well, it'll be exciting. I I have seen, like, bits of, like, clips of the promos with Bill, and she just seems like a really fun... Like, she seems more on the, like, Donna vein... Oh, yeah. Of companions, like, funny, like, really funny and quirky and loud and just, like, interest. Like, Donna was one of my favorites. So, um, like, I'm excited for Bill anyway and, and making her, like, openly queer is like, oh, that's cool. Maybe, maybe Moffat is doing some things better. <laughs> maybe. And he's leaving after this series, so that'll Does be that nice. Does that mean we might get a female doctor after this? Oh, I really hope so. Like, I really, 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 really hope so. <laughs> anyway, well, well, we'll see. We will see what we will see. Um, <laughs> I mean, Capaldi, Capaldi might be leaving after this coming series anyway. So mm-hmm. we may, like, we may very well get. I mean, can we at least get um, a black doctor? I mean, how is that hard? Right? Can we get well, someone who's not a white? Well, we haven't had a black a James white... Bond because that's too urban. So. It's too hard. <sighs> can we just get someone who's not a white man? to be the doctor just someone who's not a white man um if they go a young white man again i might i might punch someone we've done a lot of that um (laughs) i mean like the one benefit of peter capaldi was that you didn't have like you didn't have to worry about romance being like the major driving force the way it was with a lot Mm -hmm. of especially i think with a lot of moffat's 
Well, I mean, no, it was true of the Davies eras as well. It's just when you have like young people running a show, people are inevitably, it's inevitably going to have some kind of romantic subtext to it. Um, so hopefully we'll get something different with a new showrunner. More representation? Um, yes. Yes. Right. Wait, so. does representation matter? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Julia. Look at you in the segues. My segues are awesome. All right, cue the segue music. <laughs> Though I have to admit she came a lot closer than you ever did. Put. Yes, that's right. Our segment is going to be on representation, our first segment of today. Uh, I know we never talk about this. No, never. Because it it doesn't matter, does it? No, I mean, I don't... uh, Me, personally, I can watch media. Well, I think that everyone can identify with straight white males. I was just going to say that, you jerk. Yeah, so, like, if we just have straight white males everywhere, that should be okay for everyone. Right, because they're they're standard. Yeah, they're they're what's normal. And there's nothing unique about straight white males that they ever need to see explored either, because I'm pretty sure they're all the same. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So good. <laughs> I'm glad well, we I'm had this conversation. Up. Let's move on. <laughs> Can we do an entire sarcastic podcast? That is the question. <laughs> no. Um. Look, representation is is very meaningful mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Just seeing your struggles, even and and we certainly can relate to straight white male characters. You know, it it has happened a lot in media for me because, well, you've had no choice. There's just so you can't swing a dead cat. But yes, <laughs> I've had no choice. But also because stories are relatable and the way mm-hmm. characters are written, you know, there's an empathetic connection that are made. That's 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 what fiction can do. I, I believe, I think Gretchen write, writes about this a little bit. Maybe <laughs> just a little bit. Maybe like, like like a couple hundred words. <laughs> yeah. Just like a little paragraph here and there. Yeah. Um no we'll we'll, we'll link her pieces. They're they're fantastic. Uh why representation or uh what's what's the exact title? I'm sorry I always confuse Why Stories Matter? Yes, why stories matter. And then mm-hmm. Priscilla has why fiction and representation matters too, which yep. we'll link. Uh, the thing is, you know, we we talk a lot about representation for races and for sexuality, certainly. Um, and there's been cases of representation that the three of us have come across that are like so specific and so weird and yet so, oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So we want to talk about that today. Instead of talking about the representation that everyone's on about, the diversity everyone cares about, talk about, like, weirder representation we've seen, we've come across, that's meant a whole lot to us, and why? Or something? <laughs> or something. <laughs> I don't know. Julia, you begin. Oh, I, I get to begin? Oh, well, you do, because you have the most interesting one. Mine is the most interesting one? hmm I think so. I do. Okay, well, um, I don't want to talk about my personal life very much, but, um, polyamory is an identity that I kind of sort of identify with, yes? Yeah. Yeah, I mean... I mean, I don't want to tell you how you identify, <laughs> but from what I know of you... <laughs> well, I don't know, um, you know, labels are weird, <laughs> but, yeah. um... Just, like, basically the idea that, you know, committed relationships don't have to be monogamous is, Mm -hmm. you know, something that's very important to me. And it's becoming really, like, just more and more important to my identity as I grow older, I think. And as, you know, the relationships that I have become more meaningful to me. And, um, 
it's one of those things where you start to notice that these relationships are hardly ever portrayed in a positive way. Mm. Like, um, the first time I was really, the first time I was really exposed to anything that's more like, you know, not monogamy, that wasn't just straight up, you know, people cheating on each other and that was the drama, um, was like Big Love, which is about, like, polygamists, which is not quite the same thing, <laughs> because, right. I mean, no, it was like, specific- and, and, it, and not just polygamists, it's, it's about Mormon fundamentalists. Yeah, Morgan, so Mormon fundamentalist polygamists that comes with all sorts of baggage that a lot of people seem to think has to accompany non-monogamy for some reason. Um, but like, even that, like, um, I did, I didn't watch the whole of that show. I did watch a few seasons and even that had some not stupid discussions that I, I found meaningful. Just like, but it like, I don't know when you have that, those kinds of relationships, it's so like fucking patriarchal. <laughs> you know? well, and and but, the, the point of that show mm-hmm. in a lot of ways was a little, like I always felt it was a little bit gawkerish. A little bit. Like we were just invited to be like, look at how they do this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, you know, some of the Mormonism, I can see why it lends itself to that. But another, it just like another thing that, I, which was kind of a kind of the, a thing on Big Love, but not so much as it always is. Just like um, the example of this that off the top of my head is actually uh, in Arrested Development, where um, Lindsay and Tobias decide they're going to have an open relationship. Oh my god, yeah. Yeah, and Tobias is just like, well, you know, what I tell my patients back when I had patients before I was, like, disbarred for medicine or whatever he was, um, was that, you know, open relationships are just uh, people kidding themselves. But I'm sure it'll work for us. That happens a lot, too. You know, that, like, open relationships are just, like, a way people weasel out of not wanting to commit. That's what people Mm. used to say about bisexuals. Mm. And Mm -hmm. still do. Right. Right. And just like, uh, I don't know, just again, I don't want to get too personal, which that, like, in my experience is often the opposite. <laughs> so it's just mm. like, it, it forces you to have a kind of communication that you wouldn't really have otherwise in a kind of honesty. And it's also like very liberating because it's like, it's like people say that if you don't let your teenager ever have a beer, then they'll go out with their friends and drink and get drunk and binge drink. It's kind of like that. <laughs> like Mike Pence not having dinner with women. Yeah, for example. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it, so, yeah. But, um, and just, I don't I can't, like, really off the top of my head think of, you know, relationships like this I've seen in media that I've really, like, instantly related to in this way. It's, it's always... Like, either, you know, something on the side that other people gawk at. Like, I remember there was this episode of The Mentalist where, like, one of the murder victims was in an open relationship. And like, they spent the entire time going to... You think that's weird? Like, literally. On The Mentalist? On The Mentalist, yeah. Oh, our titular <laughs> inspiration. I'm so disappointed. There is an episode of um, Elementary that had it as well. Mm-hmm. And? Um, well, I think, from what I recall... They handled it in some ways more delicately than I've seen other shows handle it. Mm-hmm. And there's always this assumption, and, and it probably has to do with it being a murder mystery show, um, with both like The Mentalist and um, Elementary is like, there's always this assumption of jealousy. Yeah. That like having a polyamorous relationship, people assume, well, aren't you going to get jealous? Yeah. And that becomes the focus of 
like, well, I have to prove that you guys are secretly jealous. I have to prove that, like, someone isn't happy because no, like, normal, like, people don't normally exist in this kind of relationship without jealousy. And that's really problematic. (laughs) Yeah. Well, especially because as Julia was saying, like, you kind of inherently have to have these conversations you wouldn't otherwise Mm -hmm. have. Yeah. So. Like, on the other hand, like, you have a twinge of jealousy, then you feel like you're a bad (laughs) representative. You failed the entire movement. Oh my god, you were such a Martell with your, with your polyamory. Um, well, and it just kind of assumes that, like, people who are in monogamous relationships, like, somehow don't feel jealousy. That it's, like, mm-hmm. unique to this situation, or at least that sometimes feels like the way it's handled, that, like, this is just kind yeah. of inherent. Rather than, like, in this kind of relationship, rather than it being kind of inherent in just, like, human beings... Like human beings are going to have envy no matter yeah it's always what. seen as it's inherent just to talk about it yeah that like relationships are monogamous and if people can't do that for whatever reason it's like mm. and like most people seem to feel that way like they seem like you know like you know if he cheats on me that's a deal breaker it's over you know and like <laughs> I've never like like that that kind of feeling has always mystified me. I guess that's just the way I am. But I think it was best explained when Michael and Jan broke up and he says, you cheated on me when I specifically asked you not to. <laughs> See, because, like, he specifically asked her not yeah. to. So, like, I understand that being upset. Well, like, I, I think a lot of people just, like, I, 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 it's like, you know, when it's something, it's an identity that you never really knew that you were allowed to have. You don't mm. really have the words for it. Mm-hmm. And you're I think not... there's a there's a morality yeah, that's exactly. often there's... attached exactly. to monogamy, right? Because right? mm-hmm. right. like cheating is viewed worse than like gambling away all of your partner's money or something. <laughs> okay, just to pick an arbitrary example, but I'm saying no, like that that is treated in a lot of yeah. ways as like the one unforgivable thing. Exactly, and you know things can be more nuanced. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, but I remember like um. And the latest season of Orange is the New Black, which I never actually finished watching because I heard the spoilers and I was just like, I don't want to watch that. So, oh my god, same. Yeah. yeah, I didn't finish watching it. But um, Nina Sharp from uh, Fringe, I forgot yep. her character's name, uh, on Orange is the New Black. But yeah, she was like, you know, a polyamorous person and she was also a rapist. Oh. And these kind of things kind of seem to go Ooh. hand in hand because, you know, she likes dudes. And, like, oh. they just kind of put that together somehow. And that, like, really upset me in a way that I didn't expect it would. Mm. Because, like, she just kind of casually mentioned, like, in her first episode, like, oh, that's not my husband. That's my boyfriend. My husband's waiting at home or something like that. And I was like, Ee! And then, like, a couple episodes later, she's, she's just, like... a terrible like, fucking person. Yeah, she, she's a terrible fucking person. And she, like, coerces this guard into having sex with her. And you're just like, okay. The, like... <laughs> Because she has a boyfriend, she can't exist without having sex with dudes, so she has to coerce them. Thanks! But I have polysuka, so it's okay. Wait, is that, like, I'm sorry, is that the only representation you have? I mean, there was OT3 in in Black Sails, right? Right. Yes, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mention that. Oh, I mean, um, I still haven't seen the latest, the final season, which Kylie's really mad at me for, but. Oh my god, you both need to just. I, the th- there was, the there was a bump, it. okay? There was a bump in the middle, and just, Kylie was like, don't watch it, wait until the end of the season. Now she's just like, oh my god, watch it, but now I have no time, so this is what happens, Kylie. Um. 
just, just be cognizant that um, Gretchen is not into season three oh. right now. No. Well, yeah. Well, there's there there's there's an. OT3, I mean, you have you have like there. Anne, Max, and Jack. Um, yeah. Jack. And then you had you had one before then, with with Thomas and. Uh, oh right, yeah. James, Thomas Miranda James, and James. James yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. They were wonderful. I love them. They <laughs> are um, wonderful. I had so I had so many feelings about mm. Thomas and and Captain Flint. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You will have more. You will have more. I'm sure I will. Uh, but, and then Polly Suka is just something I randomly wrote about Avatar. But it's canon. It's totally canon. Okay. It's, it's just that Suki and Sokka, I think, are the types of people that would be in a long-term committed open relationship. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and that Sokka is totally Suyin's baby daddy. I, it's at least as canon as Bubbling. Oh, I, I agree. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. Well, that, that, um, in Ember Islands, when she's like, you hooked up with the moon? Like. <laughs> and see, Right. She seemed pretty thrilled about that. She could have not given fewer shits. She was like, oh, is she down for things? Like, <laughs> it's great. Okay, we need to move on. Oh, we do. I'm sorry. Enough about Joya's sex life. <laughs> um, yeah, so I am Jewish, and that's something I've been hiding very Are you well sure? lately. I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, I'm not sure. Cause I grew, no, cause, okay. So I want to see I your receipts, up, Kylie. Well, first of all, there's this made up concept called being half Jewish and it doesn't super work like that. You're just Jewish. It's fine. You have a Jewish parent. You're Jewish. Good. My mom's Jewish. My dad's not. And I grew up in a town with no other Jews, like none. So my mom used to like barge into the uh, elementary schools with a menorah and like teach people Hanukkah. Which was not embarrassing at all. It was great. I love that that happened. But it, you know, it's not so much like I want to talk about Jewish representation, uh, because I grew up with Seinfeld, like, that was a third parent, basically. I knew that other Jews existed. I always felt a little bit like an outsider because uh, we didn't practice anything religiously. I didn't have a bat mitzvah the way that my cousins did. Uh, I didn't really know what anything meant because my mom didn't want to have a bat mitzvah because her brother used to cry at Hebrew school. So, like, I, I, don't, I don't know Aww. what any of this meant. Yeah, uh, so, like, I've always had a very weird relation and felt like I was a fake Jew, and as it turns out, so do a lot of other people, and we all have guilt about it. So good. Yay. Uh, <laughs> we're all legit, though. It's fine. But the representation I actually want to talk about is so specific. It's Yiddish representation. Um, because I didn't realize, like, you hear the schmuck and the schlep and, you know, the, 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 the stuff that's, everyone says that's invaded our, our cultural zeitgeist. Even, even in Orange is the New Black, I think Felix at one point said he was too verklempt to do something. And it's like, that's weird of you, Felix, but okay, like, we all know what he was saying. But, like, Yiddish, Yiddish, Yiddish. I, the only representation I knew of was Tommy Pickle's maternal grandparents, <laughs> Boris and Minka. They weren't even using it properly. There's one point where Minka goes like, Boris, you bump your shmagegi? Which is not a thing. That's that, shmagegi means like, like an idiot, kind of. You can't bump a shmagegi. <laughs> um, but I was just rewatching it. Like the way they speak, they have a very, I mean, they're supposed to be Russian, but, uh, it's like Russian New York Jew Yiddish specifically is how they yep. speak, which is um, basically my grandma. And then my grandpa was German and from Brooklyn. So he also talked like that. And it's like, oh, 
So, the kid stinks. Uh, it's the way of the world. Kids are supposed to stink. And it's, it's just like their <laughs> affect that they have, the way they talk. It's just very, very authentic. It comes from a very well-to-do family. Yeah, because he was like, oh, we slept with goats in the old country. I think we did stink a little. Oh, Boris. Um, but no, like, that was the only Yiddish I ever knew until a recent Supergirl episode where... Um, Oh my god. Snapper car. Snapper. I almost called him Skipper. <laughs> well, to it. be fair, I mean, it's that weird of a name, so. Hey. Yeah, Snapper, Snapper just, uh, kind of casually to Kara is like a Halberevis is a Gonstern Ligon, which is a, a, a half truth is a, uh, whole lie. Mm-hmm. And I've heard, the, I've heard the English a lot, but he just like said the Yiddish. He didn't say it well, but he just said it so quickly. And I was like, oh my god, Yiddish? And then in Batwoman, uh, the rebirth, like the, like the first issue that came out to like, get everyone new on board, she says, uh, Vesmir, which like, oi, Vesmir, uh, uh, woe is me, cause she got punched in the face cause she's an idiot. <laughs> and like, I just, I've never, I haven't heard people say Yiddish like this past, like, Larry David. I just didn't think this was a thing. And I didn't even realize that I speak an inordinate amount of Yiddish until I met Griffin and he didn't understand, like, half the words I was saying. It's like, oh, this isn't just how Jews talk? It's like, no. Well, shit. And my other, my goy friends just, like, let it fly over their head, I guess, because they're like, oh, that's just Kylie, whatever. Yeah. It's fine. So, <laughs> more Yiddish rep, I demand it. And also more Jewish, like, like, like women, specifically women speaking Yiddish. Mm. Because I've noticed that, like, men, Jewish men in TV are allowed to be more Jewish than female counterparts, and it's strange. Oh. Well, because the stereotypical Jewish woman is, like, very assertive. Yeah, she's Susie Green from Kirby Enthusiasm, I know. Yeah. And that's not wrong, but, like, just let us, just let us speak some Yiddish. Yeah, because, no, like, the stereotypical Jewish man is, like, a comical figure, basically, but, like, the stereotypical Jewish woman is, like, your terrifying mother-in-law. Yeah. 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 Which, again, is not wrong. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, I mean, I, I don't even realize in just normal speech how much I say, but I do. Like, my cat runs around and I'm calling him my little Vildahaya. Like, it just happens. So, more of that, more of, like, people calling things Drek. Like, just the, the ones that haven't necessarily permeated, but it would still make sense. Drek is Yiddish? Yeah. They did not know that. Drek, Bupkis. Oh, Bupkis. All that. Bupkis. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, Genug. Yeah, Yiddish mm-hmm. is a off language. It's German plus Dutch plus a little Dutch uh, plus a little um well like Dutchish noises plus a little like Hebrew really yeah well to me it sounds like German with like random Polish words in it so I could see that too because we have a lot of <laughs> Polish Jews there's Russian Jews yep. yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right that was a whole Gonzo Miguel on to uh on to Gretchen um mine only really like when Kylie pitched this as an idea I was like what weird. What weird rep did I did not know I needed? Um, and I didn't know I needed it until this, till like this past year, which was, um, what I like to call the responsible and overlooked younger sibling. <laughs> um, because, okay, because when you have a familiar dynamic in TV, if you're going to have one responsible one and one rebellious one, it is always like 99 times out of a hundred, the responsible one is always the oldest. Um, and it's the, like, younger sibling that's the, like, crazy rebel who, like, you know, 
goes off and does whatever and like does drugs and does crazy things and like never wants to stay at home with the family. Well, of like, course, that's a predispos- predisposition as youngest. <laughs> right. Like, so that's like, that's what we're used to seeing, but like, that is not how my fam- family dynamic worked growing up. Um, <laughs> not mine either. My younger sister's totally the responsible one. Right, like I was, like I was the the old, the stereotypical oldest child. If you want, you know, growing up, and my oldest, my sister, who was the oldest, um, was the one who like did a lot of crazy shit in college, and like was never home, and was hanging out with her friends all the time, and her friends were always kind of sketchy, and like, and so I was just like, I would watch, you know, family dynamics, and be like, well, that's that's never that doesn't make sense, mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. That's weird. Um, so this year when I finally watched Legend of Korra, I was like, oh, Tenzin. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Tenzin. Tenzin. Like, yes, Tenzin. And Gretchen, then. Like, are you Tenzin? Yes. <laughs> yes. You have to say, I am Tenzin. I'm totally I'm Tenzin. Boomy. <laughs> um, I'm Tenzin. Um, and then why, um, Winona Earp came out and I was like, Oh my god, I'm Waverly. I am Waverly Herb. Um, I am that like youngest child who stayed home and was always responsible and did what was expected of her and was reliable and always did what the family wanted and no one ever like recognized and paid attention to her and it was always like the older rebel child got all of the attention. Um, and there I was, I was like, well, I've been working really, I've been working my ass off and no one seems to care that I am like doing a lot of things. Um, uh, right. Yeah. So, you're yeah. probably me out, Stace, but yeah, this is like my life too. <laughs> right. Like I didn't know that I needed to see like a family dynamic that was like, like when Waverly has the scene where like she has a scene where she's talking with Winona and she's just like, you know, why can't I be the heir? Like, I'm the one who knows everything about our family. Mm-hmm. Like, she knows all of the family history. She's done all of the research. Like, she understands this in and out. But because of birth order, like, she's not allowed to be the to be the hero because she wasn't born first. And, like, I just identified with that so much to be like, I'm the one who's done all the work. And yet my older siblings are getting all the credit just because they were born first. So, like, they do something yep. that's, like, Poor kind Redley of like Baratheon. what I did. Oh, but he's an asshole. So, <laughs> no, see, this is why I like Stannis. Well, I For mean, we Renly. may talk, no, because, because Brenly's fucking asshole. Well, that's, um, that's true. <laughs> well, and Stannis is younger than Robert, but no, I, I see where you're coming from. And what I was going to say is that, um, Winona Earp, I think, was particularly special in this representation too, because like Tenzin, look, I am Tenzin. Uh, his Hashtag. sister and brother are eerily similar to how my sister and brother operate. <laughs> like, my sister would totally be telling me about my aura. Like, that's just how it is. <laughs> T- Tenzin can be, Tenzin can be just a little bit of a martyr. Just a little Michael Bluth in there. <sighs> Waverly true. is not. She no. carries her stuff around as anxiety. Like, very specifically. Mm-hmm. And I think the scene that got me the most was when she's in the car with Nicole and she's just losing it. And she's like, can everything, can everyone just stand freaking still for one minute? Because, like, she's the one who's trying to piece everything together and, like, right. solve it all, right? Fix everything. And that's what she's always done. And everyone is just frustrating her at every turn. Mm-hmm. And I, that's, I think, like... 
Winona specifically not only give us a put upon younger sibling, but a female put upon younger sibling. Yes. I think that dynamic is key because Tenzin is a little like, oh, the, the fate of the air nation is on me. Right. Yeah. Because like he, there's a level of in which like he is the heir to like yeah. Yeah. this culture. And so that gives him like a, a different nuance than like Waverly, who's like, I do all of this stuff and I get zero credit because Winona Earp gets to carry the gun. Like, she gets to have the cool gun and shoot the demons, and so, like, everyone pays attention to that. Where, like, the only reason we figure shit out is because, like, I'm sitting home at a computer, like, reading through old journals and, like, looking through family photos and trying to figure out what's going on. Why is um, Waverly, like, the best character? <laughs> oh, because, just because, because Emily Andrus didn't know it, but she was writing me. <laughs> just kidding and i don't gretchen feel like it's the myself. best no yeah, gretchen's really really lies. conceited if you met her you'd be like whoa take it down a notch <laughs> anyway representation <laughs> representation no i we, we've got to move into our last segment but before we do that i want to say in the comment section of this post please let us know what representation made you go yes. like oh this is a thing that other people fa- oh my god there yeah. i am <laughs> there are <laughs> dozens of us Dozens! Dozens! Yeah. Oh yeah, are you a never nude? How is that for you? <laughs> Let us know. Why did this become so much about arrested development all of a sudden? Are you gonna buy this time or are you just curious? I suppose I'm uh bi curious. <laughs> Alright, so it's time for our ongoing series about David Oshelsnick and his maxims of adaptation. Um to recap for people who are just joining us. David Olszewski was the man behind uh, Gone with the Wind, one of the most successful book-to-film adaptations ever, and he was also a serial uh, methamphetamine-fueled memo dictator, and um, these were collected after his death into this tome called the Memos from David O'Shelsnick. And one of them is a letter to the screenwriter for Gone with the Wind, where he basically outlines the things he wants the screenwriter to keep in mind as he adapts the book into a movie script. And you can just, like, list them out, basically, as eight maxims of adaptation that can really, which I think are very good advice for basically anyone who's trying to follow in David O'Shelsick's footsteps and adapt one medium to another. Uh, so number five is... <clears throat> I urge against any change in Rhett's character that might be indicated by the suggested apology. Um, I think the he was referring to the writers suggesting that Rhett apologize for being an asshole, which he should be an asshole. I think his burrishness and bad matters, if that's what they are, are as much a part of Rhett's character as his charm. And I don't think we should attempt to whitewash him in the least. Uh, so what he's saying here is basically that just as you shouldn't fix... Uh, what you see as flaws in the plot, which was one of the previous maxims, you also shouldn't fix perceived flaws in the character. You shouldn't try to make the character better than what he has written in the source material, or more kind of, you know, in line with what you assume the audience's morality to be. And he refers to this as a whitewashing, because <laughs> uh, to whitewash means to hide a flaw by covering it with white paint, right? Because he read his Tom Sawyer. Yes, yeah. yes. As, like, Tom Sawyer was whitewashed in that fence. No, because um, it's a little it's a little area of contention, because that's also a term that's used uh, for something specific that happens with casting, basically where, like, people of color are turned into white characters. Um, 
And, which is a completely valid way to use that term as well. But in oh, yeah, 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 in this it's context, whitewashing means like you're hiding, you're hiding or trying to erase the flaws of a character. And like Rhett Butler, if you're not familiar with Gone with the Wind, is um, I think like he's kind of a stock rake character, I suppose you can say. Like he's he's not he's he's rude. He he says like very blunt things, like you know, I want to fuck you now, Scarlet, and things like that. And you know, he's he's violent at times. He's abusive. And but he's I mean, also or his like iconic line. Yeah, like, frankly, my dear, I don't, give, I a don't give a damn. And it's not said in a like jokey way. Like he, yeah. he honestly doesn't care. Yeah. Well, she's kind of an asshole. Yeah. Well, she's kind but, of like the most selfish person in all of English. Yeah. I mean, this book is about like two just terrible yeah, people. Terrible. But like, I don't think that Margaret Mitchell realized how terrible they were. Is the thing. But um, that's not. She read different. like Wuthering Heights before she wrote this. Yeah. Because that is another book about, like, two really shitty people yeah. who fall in love. and then Let me tell you something. As a, as a five-year-old, I did not enjoy watching all four hours of this film. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because in, in the memo, he, they actually refer to film as, like, length, as in, like, feet and inches. Oh, like this, so this, yeah, this movie is 54 feet long or something like that. I had no idea what that meant. Oh, but it's like scrolls. Yeah, but um, one of the issues, like, which this makes me think of a lot of like values dissonance, um, specifically when you have source material that's like older mm-hmm. and comes from yeah. like a time when people thought in a different way. And the thing that this immediate, I think I've actually mentioned this before, but nobody can seem to adapt Fanny Price in Mansfield Park, and it's really only because of values dissonance because Fanny Price is what many people in that era history would consider to be like an ideal woman like she's an ideal like christian educated woman mm-hmm. but right. when we see fanny price all we see is like you know an, an annoyingly passive pushover but you know, but she she has that kind of strong in the real wayness and she's got like her she is strong in yeah, the real she, way she, she's yeah she's strong in the real way she has the kind of like she has that very like because she has a strong moral compass she has that, a, yeah <clears throat> that she abides by no matter what other people around her want her to do she will abide by like but at the same time she's compass. also she's also extremely like mindful of her place in the social order right. and also mm-hmm. very mindful of the fact that she should be grateful that she's not living in squalor and poverty <laughs> she's catlin hmm? she's catlin <laughs> Well, I mean, I mean, yeah, yeah there are kidding, a lot of similarities. It's, no, but it's the same kind yeah. of thing. I mean, like, like I, I think Catelyn Stark is a challenging character to a lot of people because Martin is so good at like that, at like putting that values dissonance into her way of thinking. Like, she doesn't think the way that the reader would think. Right. Well, I mean, it's the same thing with um, with like Much Ado About Nothing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's one of the hardest Shakespeare plays to adapt. Precisely because, like, we have different moral, we have different values now. Yeah. Like, trying to have the entire tragedy revolve around the fact that, like, the dude thinks his fiance is cheating on him. Like, yeah. Is like, people watch that and are like, okay, so she's not a virgin. <laughs> like, that's, big, that's big a fucking bit... deal. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, um, I kind of feel a similar way about Taming of the Shrew because, like, right. It's supposed to be ridiculous, but is it supposed to be this ridiculous? Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. 
how that comedy lands. Like, we can't really even say how misogynistic of a play it was. Like, what was Shakespeare even going yeah. for? It's very difficult to say when we're watching a, a scenario play out that's just obviously stupid. Right. So and The entire scene about negging. Um, yes. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, Shelsnick's like Shelsnick's argument here is that trying to change a character to be more in line with our own morality is always a mistake. And I think of like the absolutely awful, 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 awful adaptation that is the 1999 Mansfield Park, which I will have to write about eventually. Uh, I mean, the, which it, is it, which is the one that? It, which one is that? It is the one. Um, I know it's it's the highest budget one. It, it was actually released in movie theaters. Um, I can't. It's the one from was 1999. A, I don't know. Is it's, she a brunette? Yes. Okay, I think I know what you're um, talking about. I've seen just about all of them. I mean, it has it has merits as a film, but as an adaptation, it was an absolute disaster because they basically oh yeah they basically changed changed Fanny Price to be a lot more like Elizabeth Bennet, I guess you can say. Like, yeah, she's right. She like a she lot secretly like wants. To, she secretly wants to be a writer and yeah. is like oppressed by the patriarchy and does not like and her just social like, system. Like the opening scene is her like running Isn't around she sword she's, fighting. Yeah, she's like running around excited trying to get like, you know, go to go like on a really like um to go on like a really tough horseback ride. When like Fanny Price was barely had the physical strength to like go for a nice stroll on a horse. You know? <laughs> like the whole thing like there's this whole subplot about how she um how she needs to get exercise because she's so physically weak, but she can't get a horse because her cousins are using the horses and so Edmund gets her a horse, but he has to get her like a super, super gentle horse because she yep. can't handle fast horses. <laughs> and um and she's like turning Turning her into this character, like, you know, like the kind of like, like feminist approved, I suppose you can say, but there's a lot about Fanny that is feminist, but like, you know, the kind of Hollywood feminist approved Jane Austen heroine. It's like, mm. a, it's a disaster. I mean, it's like, and they did the same thing in, well, uh, not nearly as badly. Uh, the one with Billy Piper in 2007. They did mm-hmm. a lot of the same thing. And I found that kind of unwatchable for that reason. And just, yeah. Yep. Ugh. Yep. We can talk about Tyrion if you like. I mean, say, how can you? How, how can, can we, we not? Like, you hear the word whitewash, and it's like Tyrion's character defines it. Yeah, yeah. Especially um, in the in the sense of like taking a character who has negative traits. Yeah, and, and just getting rid of all the negative traits. Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, I don't really know how like basic we want to get with this, uh, but for anyone who doesn't have a ton of familiarity with A Song of Ice and Fire, Tyrion. <laughs> well, yeah, go read it. But Tyrion Lannister is a gray character, dark to dark like dark gray. gray. Well, yeah, it I, depends on what point in the story. Right, I mean, he goes through some shit. <laughs> he goes through some shit, and then he does some shit mm-hmm. uh, because you know he's a dark character. Uh, and, and like, but he was never a saint. No. Like the even when we are first introduced to him in the first book, he's never like a a morally pure saintly character like he's always gray he just like varies between like i would say like mid to like dark gray in in his like thinking and and actions i mean he's like it's impossible to explain like the thumbnail sketched here and he's an extremely complicated character Mm -hmm. but um the thing of like there's a fan fiction trope that is called draco and leather pants and it's basically the um the tendency for some fan fiction writers to basically take the antagonist's side to the extent that they're apologists for the antagonist. 
and they try to change the story so that the antagonist is in the right sometime, somehow. And mm. and again, Tyrion is complicated because I wouldn't call him necessarily an antagonist. No, exactly. But they certainly do woobify him a bit in especially especially when it comes to his interactions with Sansa in the books. Yeah, and his his role in that relationship with her and the in way all his that relationships he, really. Yeah, and how he married her and felt sort of entitled to her, like not. Like, he didn't uh, rape her, he didn't go through with that, but he felt entitled to her affections. And he just had a very, like, kind of... <sighs> yeah, it's, it's, it's an entitlement, but it was also like a voyeurism kind of angle towards her. And it was it's it's meant to be uncomfortable to read. Like, right. if you go back and you read just through Tyrion's POV, it's actually emotionally exhausting. Because the first time you read through, you just, like, think he's so great and he's right about everything. And then the second time you read through after knowing how everything's folding, you get to actually see that bias and see that he's not objective in a mm-hmm. lot. And he's really full of shit. And he really, like, pumps himself up yeah. a ton. At the, at the same time, he also deals with a ton of shit. Yeah. Like, he's... Right. It's, it's not, yeah. It's not as simple, like, he's just an asshole. It's yeah, like, it's not yeah, nearly no. as simple as that. But it's not, it's also not as simple as he's just a victim. Right. Right. Like, he was just abused by Tywin and he had no chance to do anything mm-hmm. ever. Right. I mean, it, like, the scene, I mean, I would say that the scene that best typifies this is the brothel scene. Yeah. Where, like, in, in the mm-hmm. books, he. Oh my god. Yeah. I feel like we're getting um, in the weeds. Um, I'm sorry. Why just, like, what, in terms of, like, whitewashing, like, you take yeah. a scene where, like, is, is extremely negative in the books. Oh, extremely, like, extremely like, negative. I mean, in the books, um, like, the, the closest scene to it is unambiguously, like, a rather brutal, like, it's not brutal physically, like, in terms of, like, physical violence that happens, but it's, it's, it's a brutally stark rape scene. Right. And, and in the show, mm-hmm. he's, like, super, he's so nice to the sex slave. Yeah. He so does to the sex slave that the sex slave offers, offers him, free, him sex. free sex and actually tells him to finish his drink so he's less nervous. Yeah. And as opposed right. to Tyrion who's drinking so much that he barfs onto the carpet and then has sex again. Right. Yeah. So like <sighs> that that was obviously mm-hmm. to them that scene Tyrion's behavior was a perceived flaw. Yeah. Yes. Of the character. <laughs> to bring it back to mm-hmm. what we're supposed to be. Right, so yeah. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. They went, they went ahead to fix it. Um, you know, there's some adaptations that just don't get characters right. I don't think it's about perceived flaws. Yeah. Like, I don't think the Harry Potter creators were like, we really wish Ginny had tied Harry's shoelaces in the books. I think they were just, like, working with the actor they had. And mm. they did what they could. Um, and it was still fucking weird, but I'm just saying, like, I, th- I think sometimes there's just misadaptations, but in the case of Tyrion, it's very obvious that they wanted him to be in a more sympathetic But I, I think, like, this is something that often happens, like, I think Rhett and Tyrion are both potentially good examples of this, but they, they managed to avoid it with Rhett, is that when an antagonist or, like, an, a, char- a character is, has both, ha- has both dark characteristics and is very charming and very compelling... Mm. then this is when this is in the most danger of happening. Right. So, and, and like, even, like, in a fanfic concept, you know, if you relate to Draco for whatever, 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 whatever reason, you know. It's not even, yeah, it's not even that. Yeah. It's also a fanfic dialogue. I'm thinking about Kuvira or Azula yeah. and the way people talk about them. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, ja- I think Jasper and Steven Universe has the same tendency. Oh, yes. Of- Although I don't. I don't see her as charming, but yeah. Well, some people identify um, with her, like, you know, they talk about, we were talking about representation we didn't know, know we needed. They identify with her because yeah. you know, she's very butch-coded and things like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So if, there, if there's anything, I think a good way to put it would be, if there's anything you find sympathetic or relatable, 
in a character or in some way compelling. Like, it's very tempting to want to then not acknowledge the darker characteristics because you want to highlight what you find valuable and and compelling about them. Yeah, or to excuse I mean, this is, I think this right. is another example. And a lot of the maxims come down to this is that when you adapt, it's not your story and you shouldn't be right. telling the story you rather tell. Yes. Mm-hmm. And this is another example of that. Like, I'd rather tell a story about a Tyrion who's like, you know, living it up on his trip across Essos, charming all the sex slaves and drinking and being funny. Uh, but like, that's not the story you're, that's there that you're adapting, quote unquote. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not the job of an adapter to fix flaws in characters. No, it's, it's the job of the adapter to deliver whatever the author was trying to say to get mm-hmm. that message across yeah. Yeah. At, and through the characters through the plot however that happens you need to be cognizant of what each character is supposed to be doing and Tyrion's supposed to be challenging us <laughs> mm-hmm. like a lot <laughs> if yes. he wasn't then we wouldn't have had Sansa's POV at the same time yeah <sighs> that's just yes. how that works okay oh why do we always end yelling about like we always Thrones? end yelling about Game of Thrones it's our thing if you like yeah. that kind of thing, I mean, you should listen to Unabashed Book Summary. No, actually, actually, if you really liked that kind of thing, yeah, Unabashed Book Summary is our podcast, but we had Gretchen on recently. We had her yeah, do an episode with us on Just a Song of Ice and Fire. Very not yelly. But it was a lot about point of view bias and mm-hmm. uh, related to this. It was, it was called Patriarchy Brain. So I'll link that. Check it out if you like A Song of Ice and Fire or just want to hear three crazy ladies talking about the patriarchy. In a fictitious world. Um, We're awesome. Otherwise. (laughs) You guys. uh, Otherwise, if you enjoy what you're listening to now, this podcast. And yeah, we were a little bit unstructured today. Joy usually keeps us on task, but we just had so much to say about representation that we kept going. Um, If you enjoy this podcast, please let your friends and family. Yeah, definitely let your family know about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want you to bring this definitely up. Definitely my grandmother. I want her to listen to me talk about polyamory. All yeah, day. like if, if anyone's if anyone's going to a Seder, please bring this up around <laughs> oh my God. the table. Be like, there's a podcast that talked about you. <laughs> Yiddish representation, wouldn't you know? Uh, no, uh, tell people about it or like it, leave us a review through iTunes, whatever uh, medium you use. Another thing is that on thefandamentals.com, we have merch. Stuff. Uh, Gretchen's drinking out of a fundamentalist mug as we speak. I, I, I am, actually. You are. I spotted it earlier. Yeah? Yeah, I like it. I like our logo. Our totally not Carmen Sandiego logo? Not at all. That one's not, okay? It's not. That's what I'm saying. went on that theme. It's more the question than anything else. But no, I mean, I worked hard on a lot of these designs, and we're probably (laughs) going to have, I mean, we definitely are going to have new ones up uh, in the pipeline, so just check out our merch page. If it's a little slow to load, you might want to hit the reload button. It can be buggy sometimes. But shirts, uh, bugs, so many snapbacks, so many snapbacks. And, they're lovely well, yeah because of all the color combinations i like it so much uh and i got a beanie cap for my sister with our little social media icon because i think it's adorable Aww. and she was happy yeah so check it out and we will talk to you next time bye
know, Gretchen's really, really conceited. If you met her, you'd be like, whoa, take it down a notch. <laughs> right. I, I talk about myself all of the time, and I never have any doubts about my writing <laughs> or, like, never in any way feel like like everyone's trying to kick me out of writing for the fundamentals. That never happened. No, <laughs> That's the most no, insane thing mm-hmm. I've ever heard, just so you know. So two Sados and a Martell started a podcast. <laughs> I, like... We're worried that, like, you'll just do all of our jobs so well that you won't need us anymore. I think that's the main anxiety in this podcast. You'll evolve. Yeah. <gasps> oh, see, I'm worried if I, if I don't, <laughs> if I make one mistake, then I'm gone. Should I, like, cut this out? Is this a group therapy session? What is no. happening? <laughs> oh, all right. Anyway, representation. 